Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. Bless you. Thank you. Is that how we're going to start you sneezing? Yes, absolutely. Don't feel quality. The, uh, uh, yeah, right, right. No, that's this guy. That's this guy. No, that was Cecil earlier. Poor Cecil. Got to hear his allergies. It's not the same thing. Fellers, introduce yourselves. Oh, I'm Gary Smith with Diagnation. Very cool. And Adam Robertson, Diagnation Duo, right here. Woo-hoo. Yeah. So what what is Diagnation? Well, Diagnation is a report. Uh, remote support company and what we do is provide guided fault finding for technicians and we provide uh over the internet remote programming for mainly european cars but we do all cars i feel a lot better now because i was i was starting to worry about all these diagnation bills i'm getting on my credit card statement but i i guess it's okay now (laughs) it's legit they're real people it's not from china (laughs) nope we're an american company (laughs) you know what you know what's cool about what we do and i think for me one of the coolest things, I mean, remote programming is one thing, remote yeah. diagnostics, but, you know, we get involved with the diagnostic with the virtual world the way it is today, mm-hmm. our ability or my ability to take a computer and take over a scan tool and take yeah. over a lab scope. I mean, heck, I can have someone take their scan tool, put it on a hot spot, yeah. and I can literally be sitting in that passenger seat, take over that scan tool, operate it graph what I need to while they're driving the car, have a conversation yeah. with them. We get back to the shop. We can pull up a schematic. I pull up a schematic on my side. They pull up a schematic on theirs. They can hook up their lab scope. I can take it over. And probably one of the most frustrating things for some of these guys is that they set up their scope, but they don't know how to turn on the channel. They don't know yeah. what levels to look for, what right. time basis and everything. And so they can be there in real time, real time in front of it, watching me adjust their scope, pull up the waveforms, take it in the right, you know, all of the right measurements. And then we can have a discussion on what we see, what's right, what's wrong, and move on to that next test method. And so what's really, was really eye-opening for me as a technician doing it virtually like this is that every time I get involved in a diagnostic, it is literally a hands-on training one-on-one at the car with that technician. And the stuff they come away with, if they apply what they learn, it is amazing. Oh, yeah. It takes it to another level. Why don't they know it? Why don't they know what? What you just said. The, I don't know what time setting. I don't know how to set up the lab scope. Why own the lab scope at that I, point? I have then? an idea about that. I, can I answer that? Have at it. All right. Um, our business, as you know, is flat rate and or salary with production base. And so what happens is these guys all, including ourselves when we were working on cars, need to get that silver bullet answer to get the car out of the shop. 
So a lot of times they never make it to the level where they're spending the time studying that lab scope and how to really use it as a diagnostic tool. And so even though that's a real deficit to that technician in his career, he doesn't really realize it until he yeah. has a couple of successes with us and says, oh my goodness, it was that easy. Yeah. Well, you know, and then, you know, so I think that's an overwhelming reason why they don't know how to do it is they've just never been, they've never put themselves in the spot to actually really study it and learn it. Because the lab scope often it provides the answer, but not the quick silver bullet answer. Meaning you have to dedicate some time to go in there and learn that tool and learn to work it around a car. Well, wow. well, and the only way that they're going to learn it is to plug into a lot of known good cars. And when during the normal operation of a day are you going to be allowed that extra five ten minutes on every car that comes in to get that scope up, hook it up, see what good signals look like? They don't do it, but, Our but men now, the mentality doesn't allow it. Uh, isn't that the root of the problem, though? It is. It's a isn't, big part of it, yeah. Isn't that where we've gone wrong, is that we're not encouraging that? And, and okay, there's, are, there's one thing between not encouraging it. We can blame the shop owners all day long, because that's probably where 90% of the, the blame is at. But you're saying five to ten minutes. Uh, you know what? I've always thought, okay, to back up what I said, I've always thought that if a technician took five to ten extra minutes when he worked on a car in the shop, got his scope out, and practiced taking one signal, one signal of something that's easy to get at, he would start learning how to set his scope up. And better than that, he'd learn what good signals look like. Yeah. But so let, he let's not even say five to 10 minutes on a vehicle because that can add up and that can turn into real dollars and cents, especially for the shop owner. That is, if the business model requires the bay to be turned, I don't, good, bad, or indifferent on the business model, I don't begrudge the shop owner saying that 10 minutes is going to cost me X amount of dollars. Right. Every single car. So I can't, I can't allow for that without billing it. Okay, fine. But that technician does have an end time. It, they stop work at 5, 5.30. Right. You're saying it's 5 to 10 minutes. That's one car that may be sitting in their bay or their own personal vehicle mm -hmm. or the car they're supposed to look at the next morning. Why can't they pull that car in and do that one reading? One car, they're not on the clock. Right. They're not getting paid for it. But there's, they're taking the time, and now it's on them. It's like, yeah, sure. my shop owner, because that's the that's the flipping answer we hear all the time. All the time. The and it's a cop out. My shop it's owner won't let me dot, dot, dot. BS. It's a cop out, right? It's a cop out. Mm -hmm. Pull that car in. Nobody's going to stop you. You're not getting paid for it. Right. The shop owner's not losing any money on it. Pull that car in. Hook it up. Check okay. one sensor. Play around with it. Right. One car per day. That's five cars. By the end of the Weird. year, well, you'll have... 250 cars. plus right. known goods. Well, right. and, and here's the thing though, right? Like, like you said, five minutes, right? Why? Well, because you're watching the screen and you're seeing there's no signal on the screen. Okay. I'm going to lower the amplitude a little bit. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I have a signal on the screen. Well, it doesn't look like I, anything I can disertain. That doesn't sure. make sense to me. And that okay? happens a lot. Right. Now yeah. I see you change the time base. All of a sudden it's, it's on the screen, but it's moving so fast. I can't see it. All right. Let's throw a trigger on it. Right. So what have we done in five minutes or less? Now we've put something on the screen that they can visualize and they can understand. We're visual. But even learners. if they're uncomfortable doing that, it, it's a YouTube video away. Right. Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. 
If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, Shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. That's it. A one YouTube video on how to set this one thing up. And you start with something simple, like a three-wire sensor. Super simple, sure. right? Yeah. I'm going to be able to, if I've got a four-channel four scope, I'm going to be able to check for power, ground, and signal. Three different channels. I'm going to be able to watch the whole thing do a voltage drop sure. test. I, I can ascertain a ton of information by hooking up with just a few wires. You bet. YouTube video away. Yeah. Why don't more technicians do it? Because in, in my mind, again, it's you guys are providing a great service, necessary service. But at some point, we got to push back on these technicians and go. Yes. Well, and here's the answer to what you're saying. Here, here's the long and short of it. I don't care how you take your five or 10 minutes in practice. I don't yeah. care if you do it on the clock, off the clock. That's not me. Right. What I'm here to we tell you is right. if you don't do it, you're not going to learn how. And that's yeah. the long and short of it. Right. And so whether that is your attitude as the technician not stepping up for yourself or the shop owner, whoever you want to blame it on, in the end, if it does not get done, you will not learn that equipment. Right. And, right. and that's the long and, and, and short. And are you guaranteeing your obsolescence at that point? You, yes, you definitely are. are. Yes, you you are, and here's the thing: you you said it, okay? We said it. It's a cop out when you know. Let's just address the shop owner getting blamed for everything in the shop for a yeah. second. Wouldn't we agree that if we were in an industry outside of the automotive industry, any employee of any company or corporation, there's going to be employees that stay at the bottom. Yeah. There's going to be some that rise yeah. to the middle, and then the cream's going to rise to the top. Well, the guys that are the cream that are rising to the top are immersing themselves in that learning. Yeah, They're not they spending are. five minutes a day. They're using that scope as their primary meter, and they're getting used to it day after day. They're studying. They're yeah. coming to events like we are at right now to get better at their craft. Well, so the cop-out to me bothers the heck out of me when somebody blames it on that right. shop owner because it's like, no, you're lazy. You well, want to go home at 5 o'clock and drink your beer or whatever, and you don't care to study. Well, I'll tell you what, not to run on, but to get to the level that Adam and I have to be at to help these guys on the hotline we're immersed and when yes. i say immersed i'm talking just about every waking hour is either studying learning applying trying yeah all of that and well, that good never goes that. away ever well and, and so that's what i was getting ready to say is is because it, it to them a lot of the people who put it on the shop owner they say well if he wants me to learn that you know he's going to use that knowledge to his advantage no dude that's yours right that's mm. always yours right and if you learn a new you skill can take it with and, you and, yeah, because your toolbox rolls, right? So right. it is your skill that you're building, not the shop owner's. Now, right? as, as shop owners, we need to be looking at the people and saying, hey, you know, Terry is 
fantastic at steering and alignment and suspension work and that kind of thing. We need to be addressing that, you know? Yes. Ados calibrations. He can see it in his head what he needs, right? The measurements work in his head in a certain way. Yes. He's a fantastic tech in that area. We're training him in that area. Yes. Right? I've got Ryan who works for me, and Ryan is fantastic at electrical work, and he's picking up on it, and he understands it in a way that Terry doesn't understand it. We need to make sure we're giving them the training that fits what they need and what they're passionate about. Well, we have to make sure they have the equipment, too. Yeah. There's obviously both sides to it, you know? Mm-hmm. But the technician has to take a lot of responsibility themselves to train themselves. Sweat equity. Yes. Sure. And many of them, and you know darn good and well that some of your more successful technicians take that job home with them. Oh, they yeah. do practice on the oh, yeah. car. They do 100%. do it. But see, that's, like he's saying, there's that top cream of the, of the crop, right? Mm-hmm. The, the issue that we're going to run into is that what was acceptable for that fat part of the bell curve, the, the middle part, the ones that just come in and do the job and then they go home at five o'clock or whatever. Not the ones that, hey, I don't want to learn anything about electrical. That middle part, the the base knowledge needed to stay in the middle is going to increase, increase significantly over the next five years. Look what and it all of a sudden, done. Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they just have, don't see the cars in their bays yet. Mm-hmm. They're just two years away from seeing those like really high-end technologies that were fitted on... $15,000 cars, right. all of a sudden is going to be in their bay yeah. and where they like three, four years ago going, I don't want to mess with this stuff. Right. It's like, oh, hold on now. I just want to hang suspension. It's like, that's not, ex- all of a sudden you got to know ADOS right. to hang suspension. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So you lose your relevance if you don't stay on top. Absolutely. Of it. Now you've pushed yourself down in the bottom 20% right. because you haven't pushed yourself to at least stay on top of some things. So what happens to your earnings? Now you're in the bottom 20% of well, uh, and a learning curve, a learning curve that could have been gradually handled along yeah. the way yeah. is now so steep they can't climb to the yeah, top. Exactly. And it's almost intimidating at that point for some of these technicians and they give up. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, you know how many older technicians that I have worked with and have had come in? And and you know, I, I'm to the point, right? When I first started out, oh, I've been doing this 20 years. Man, that's really great. That's awesome. But if I start asking questions, you say, oh, I don't do electrical. Whoa, now. Mm. <laughs> like, we're You're beyond the, the electrical conversation at this point. Like, we're not yeah. talking about that. We're, mm, bye, right? Yeah. And, and so I think that if we, if we don't realize it in a different way and begin to embrace technology and say to the guys who are not, sorry, I mean, we really just don't have a place for you. Right. I know that sounds terrible. I th- yeah. I th- it's a throwaway phrase to say embrace technology i think i think it's embracing learning learning yeah yeah yeah, yeah as well, a prerequisite of doing the job you know in general across the board no different than i've got to have a toolbox to be a technician sure I, i'm not going to be able to operate without a toolbox it's like okay well on top of that is hey it's five to ten minutes every day mm-hmm. it's five to I, ten minutes every single day right i, I you know here's the thing about the lab scope right is because once you use the lab scope, especially on basic sensor circuits, things like that, all of a sudden, those issues become visible, right? right. And I'm a visual learner, right? And so, most of us are, yeah. hands-on and visual, and it's a good tool for that. Right. So if I, if I plug into a circuit, and I'm driving down the road, and I'll never forget, I had an ICP sensor on a 7.3 one time, and, and you could literally drive the truck until it reached 104 degrees on the dot, and the truck would shut off, and the ICP sensor would be bad, and we never could figure it out. And so I, I told the guys, hey, throw the scope on it and just watch it and see what happens. And you could see that when the sensor reached a certain temperature, the sensor opened internally. And they're like, well, how, how does that work? Well, 
all of a sudden you can visualize it. You see it on the screen. You see the voltage drop to zero. Right. Duh. It makes sense. Right. I can see it. Guess what? Now when I pick up a DVOM, I know what I'm looking at because I visualized it. It makes sense sure. to me. I understand what's happening. Well, you know, and there's something else on the lab scope topic. You know, we brought up the you got to practice five, 10 minutes every day, five, 10 minutes on your cars. Get mm -hmm. this practice in. But another thing that that leads to, and one of the other downfalls we have, is if that equipment is not readily available and easy to use, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. What I mean by this is if you keep it in a box and you keep it under a yeah. bench, you are yeah, not going to be the guy that's going to yeah. dig it out yeah. and use it every time. And so the more successful shops and the more successful technicians that I see, they have this scope on a rolling cart. They have everything accessible, well-organized, so they can grab it and hook it up to the yeah. car in a reasonable amount of time. And it's all of those things added together that added the efficiency of using it. Right. And you know darn good and well, you've been out to many shops out there. When you walk in, you say, hey, you know, you go grab your current probe. Let's hook that up to the car. They go, yeah. oh, okay, let me go find it. You almost want to roll your <laughs> eyes right. and pound yep. your own head and yep. say, There's what do you mean go sign. find it? Yep. You should be exactly. using that every dang day, you know? Yeah. what What's going on here? And then they dig it out, and you're like, gee, let me oh, guess the, the battery's, battery's dead. dead. Yeah. yeah, you know? I mean, that's... <laughs> Mine's <laughs> always dead because they leave get these calls yeah. in. I don't know. Has anybody designed an auto shutoff? They the do car? now, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, There's several that have auto shutoff. And then that's frustrating because it shuts off while you're using it. So all of us go and turn off that function, all right? Oh, but yeah. then, uh, but to answer your question, um, there are some that are powered by the scope. As of right now, Pico has a series of uh, current probes that that's are no longer battery powered. They're powered by the scope box itself through yeah. a separate circuit. That's so pretty neat. It is yeah. pretty neat, but you're also talking, you know, double the cost for a current probe, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's How neat. good current probes? What, 150 bucks? Uh, 300 for those. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The stuff you diagnose with it worth yeah. every penny. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. just not having to change that stupid battery. We because on top of adding the battery in there and having to replace the battery and remember to turn it off, they bury I I had my first current probe was a snap-on. And to change the battery, it was like take two screws out, pry it up just a little bit, slip the battery out, slip it, and turn in this whole thing. So, yeah, I mean, it turned into a giant pain in the rear. Some of them are a little bit better to, like, put the little slip box in the back, make it really easy to sure. throw a battery in And then solder the wires you broke when you did it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> the All of mine are floating around without covers on the back of them. Yeah. They're just, like, floating off the yeah. wall. And, you know what makes yeah. a really good current probe hey. that's super cheap? Uh, we, we talked to him last year, Josh. Um, oh, Curian? Curian. Yeah. Yeah. That Actually, they have a great line of tools. I'm yeah, very yeah, yeah. Impressed with that. The, the yeah. N2, uh, we we play around with that a little bit. That's our battery tester at one of our shops. But the uh, the current probe was extremely. It's cheap as hell, and he was running a flash sale or whatever. It was like twenty yeah. percent off everything on the site. So picking one up of the, those, we have an OTC as well. But that that current one was legit. You know, back to something you mentioned earlier, it really struck me is yeah. um, the visual. Mm -hmm. And it's funny that you mentioned that, and what struck me about that, and Adam will back this up, is that whenever I teach a lab scope, whenever we teach a lab scope, <laughs> can we agree that most technicians are intimidated by that tool until yeah. they learn it? Yeah. yeah. So what I start the class with is I put the scope up on the screen, and I say, what is that? So, well, it's an oscilloscope. <laughs> no. It's a visual voltmeter. Yeah. I start exactly. every class with that. You guys need to not be scared of this tool because yeah. it's a visual voltmeter that's right. better than any voltmeter you've ever used because it will visualize what the failure is for you on the screen once yeah. you learn how to use yeah. it. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay. It makes sense. It, right. it, it's super simple. And, and you know, I, look, I'm going to tell people, go into the tool. So some of them have a lot of buttons. They do. That, that ATS, that E... 
uh, I mean, the, most uh, of the people who aren't using one are not going to have an eight thousand dollars scope. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe. I, you yeah, know. but you're right. There's a lot. Yeah, of but buttons, there's a lot but. of people that look at that versus the Pico, and they're trying to decide like, which way do I go? Go in and, and start the clicking ATS, buttons. The ATS, I, I get it. I'm a button presser until something works. But I'm saying like, it's a, it's intimidating. You know, it's. I, Funny. It's easy to start Go with ahead. like a... Didn't mean to interrupt you, but what you said was so funny to me because literally in my class today, just a couple hours ago, the topic of lab scope came up. And I said, you know, one of the things that I'm asked about a lot is what settings do I use? What voltage scale? What time based? I'm like, guys, I'm a button pusher. And you just you said just it across the, the table. Yeah, just it's the like, well, what do you do? Up, I yeah. hook it up and I push buttons till I get what I looks good. Right, but right. Well, you, know? you look at something like, like the Autel, mm -hmm. the, I think the 919 has the scope built mm -hmm. into it. So... I learned on the Snap-on, right? And the Snap-on has guided component testing, which you can knock all you want. But when you use it with the lab scope, it sets all the things up for you. And then it's you can run the test. Learn. It's a great way to learn because then you start to see, okay, if I'm testing this kind of sensor, then this I is need the time base of yes, this. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so, and it'll sometimes give you the patterns that you're trying to look for. It makes it a good way to learn Some if you're messing around. Teaches you where to put where the to probes, probe, right? yeah. So that's all very Super helpful easy. when you're new. That's all great if you want to start graduating to to something a little bit fancier or more flexible. In my mind, you grab the nine one nine, and now like you can zoom in and zoom out with your fingers it starts to work like a like a smartphone a little bit you can hit the buttons really fast it looks really nice too and you got to admit you know that's a lot of bang for the buck that's good yeah. it is ridiculous it is, it is, the value it is an incredible yes. scope for the price yeah yeah well it, it's not only that you have a full-blown scan tool with jbox and a good right. one it yeah. works and yeah. a good scan tool jbox and a very nice lab scope yeah. with the wireless connection. And they and even have, they even added um, uh, logic analyzers now. Serial, yeah. oh, serial yeah. logic analyzers for buses mm -hmm. on the Autel uh, scope. And the math a, channels yeah. are in there now. Great, They've come yeah. a long way. I, I don't know I, what you guys are talking about. I should, I should point out the <laughs> serial decoder yeah, yeah. For, uh, just for dissecting a CAN bus problem uh -huh. and seeing yeah. if it's a module violating the network. The Autel actually now has the software in there, like the, the, the TP scope and the Pico scope. Uh, where the software analyzes the data packet to say to, to the tech, okay, this this packet failed. Let's go track back what module that came from. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah, it's pretty it's legit. A nice feature. Oh, we like you use it every day. Get out of here. Don't use it every day. Well, that's hey, a learning I, curve, but nice. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, will, it is a learning curve. I will point Wait, out. I, I got to message my tech and ask him. <laughs> 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 I will use this thing. Hey, listen, just the one thing that you need to know about that scope is if you use it remotely and you put it under the hood of the truck, you got to make sure you tie it to something. Oh, yeah. Because oh, exactly. if you look yeah. outside and your tech's driving down the parking lot and it's dragging and it's, the ground underneath it's bouncing the, down the road behind you. So it's you, not yeah. good That's for not it. a good day. It, it made me very nervous. Serial yeah. <laughs> packets. Oh, here we go. Uh, uh, can just, you know, while you're typing, line two. we teach an eight-hour class on that. That is a very in-depth subject, mm. serial decoding, right? Really? And I didn't know you taught a class on that. We teach an eight. We have a, a groundbreaking eight-hour, what we call it network nightmare, solving the diagnostic distress. And what we do is in eight hours, we take a classroom full of technicians. 
And by the time they're done with it, they have five scope visuals that say, if you see this waveform pattern, go find your fuse out. If you find right. this waveform pattern, you have a broken wire. If you see this, then you have a module violating it's, the network. We it's found really a really cool. good way to, to do it in a hands-on format in a big classroom with a lot of technicians. That's pretty cool. It is really cool. We, we did it at Vision and a screaming success there. We did it at Bimmer's. Oh, gosh, we've been at Bimmer's ATE. Like five or six Vision. places. And yeah. it's just gotten rave reviews. You should do it at AST. Don't We'd love AST. to. All we, we need to do is get invited. <laughs> yeah, there is that. <laughs> well, um, where do I send the email, I guess? Uh, <laughs> the network Aren't you the classes. events coordinator, event guy? What are, what's your title with it? Yeah, I'm the events chair. He's the events chair. So the fact that you guys haven't gotten invited is, that sounds uh, his, important. is entirely his fault. <laughs> It's a deadbeat call. Uh, but that is a full day class, though. You know, it's a long class, but we yeah. the the reviews we get in the hallways afterwards are just yeah. a state. It's it's that's groundbreaking. Uh, it's, it's groundbreaking, different. and we've been told that by engineers as well. That they're like, "How did you guys figure this out?" That's awesome. Well, we figured it out with two years of study, and you know, we speak about that five minutes a day. You know, yeah. I think Adams collected three, four hundred waveforms that are just in our yeah. classes. Never mind the twelve thousand that he's got in the database. 30. In other words, we, we're like really right. studied on it. Yeah. And um, the good thing is we're able to break that down so that by the end of it, a technician that's even learning lab scoping can go, oh, this really is a visual thing, right? right. And set the scope and look at the waveform and then go back to the class book and remember wh where we showed you to go for this. And we had within two days of that last class, both of us had three or four emails from techs that were in there. They're going, yeah. I, I found the problem found in 10 I, minutes. I, I, I right. saw it. It's awesome. That yeah. feedback is wicked cool for us. And, and yeah. so it, it, here's the thing is if they don't go back and practice it, it, it can quickly turn it into waste. So, yeah. so what did we just do? Did we just come full circle, talked about some cool stuff, and it came right back to practice, 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 right, yeah. right back to that yep. same thing again. But Absolutely. super important. But you know, one of the things, too, that – one of the things, at least I, I see from an instructor and a, you know, a diagnostic standpoint to do during the day, part of our job isn't necessarily just teaching them what's cool and everything. We also have to have a way to, to get them excited to want to learn because yeah. if we have a technician that goes to the shop and, and doesn't want to do, you know, in-cylinder compression waveforms, doesn't want to do relative cranking compression, then maybe I, as an instructor, didn't uh, get the excitement across didn't to get them to fire. want to practice. Yeah. And so there's an, another side to that whole thing because not everybody, not everybody walks out of the class with the same excitement, you know? And so, you know, when I'm talking to someone, well, have you done this test yet? Well, no, I haven't. It's like, well, why? And sometimes I have to look back on my instruction over the years with them and say, did I not excite them? Did I not prove to them why it's so important? Yeah. You know, so some of that, some of that falls back on us too. You know? Well, you know, I, and I've told this before, but but in 2018, I was in an Ian Levy class talking about, um, and, and he took over the class for somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. And and the guy was going through the class, and he was droning on, and and Ian could tell they were losing the class. And so here he pops in, and he starts talking about the, the Mercedes-Benz multi-beam, and he starts explaining it. And people are like slamming their books, getting ready to walk out. You know, and, and the reason they were going to walk out is because they're saying, if that's where we're going, I'll, I'm good. I'll... I'm right. I'll just and, quit now. And right. That's a shame. And mm -hmm. and then the others were invigorated by it. This is cool technology. You know, we we talked with um who was it? Uh Hella Goodman. And, oh, yeah, and talking about the Matrix headlights. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I might put that out this week. All right. That's a yeah. amazing episode. 
right? And we're talking about the, and, and Peter is so smart when it comes to those headlights, right? And, and how that system works and why it does what it does. I mean, it's just a headlight. Right. Kai, isn't that Th- something? Just a headlight. Yeah. 20 years ago, it was a bulb. Right, I, I, with I had, a wire going to it. Right, I had an advisor the other day, and she, <laughs> Jade was Jade was pricing a, a set of headlights for a F six fifty, and she comes in and says, "Okay, I've got everything." And Terry looks at the estimate, and he's like, "Why is it four thousand dollars?" And she's well, I priced everything we normally do. He said, "Jade, they're sealed beam headlights. <laughs> they're just like a little chunk of glass." And she's like, "Oh." I've never seen a headlight like that before, right? Because we don't ever see that anymore, right? We don't ever see something as simple. And especially as as it's getting more advanced, we're seeing headlight systems that are, you know, we had an infinity the other day. Dude took a Brillo pad. He he <laughs> was behind a car. They had painted the road and it sprayed paint up on the headlight. And he took a Brillo pad and cleaned it. Oh, and nice said, job. I want you to replace was, my headlight housing. That was brilliant. Yeah. Brand new infinity. I want you to replace my headlight housing. And if you had heard the words that came out of this man's mouth when he said, or when, when Jade oh, said, like six thirty eight hundred dollars each, each. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, you but, just drew a $4,000 component, the, you know? The technology that dude was talking about, the good oh. from Hella, like we have HIDs or LEDs with the mechanical movement sure. and all that stuff. We have that now. Yeah. This is this is module driven LEDs that can self leveling. They can move the patterns. Yep. They can they can display different patterns on the ground. They know if a this is awesome as the road as they're approaching the sign. They can dim that section so mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't block the mm-hmm. uh, or overly reflect on the road sign. Yep. They can they can shine on the pedestrian that the radar picked up. This is all happening it's like as the, it's amazing. And, yeah, yeah. Quite frankly, that technology has been around in Mercedes since 2015. Yeah. You yeah. Know, in other words, the, uh, you know, the autonomous headlight assistant right. that can light the deer up on the side of the road to, you know, uh, for example, I have a, a four year old Escalade and that has automatic headlamps where it will, it will lower the right or the left headlamp as yeah. traffic is approaching. Same thing. And they'll also now follow on turns. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you consider that, that's but see, it's been, that's been mechanical. It, the movement is going away and is now going to be module based control. Right? Yeah, it's right. going to be L, all LEDs yep. moving around that, and doing their thing without any of the color motors. temperature changes. Color yeah, that's temperature what it is changes. on my Cadillac. It's all LEDs. Well, that's and, cool. Yeah. You know that that was part of Ian's point when when he was talking about those headlights is he said i want you to think about a car meeting an opposing car and it's running 60 miles an hour and he said i'm telling you it has the technology to be able to see the eyeball of the human being in the opposing car and he said now we're not implementing that but he said i want you to think about how much data would have to be transferred from one module to another module to make it happen so fast that if you're hitting an opposing car at 100 miles an hour Right? How fast does it have to move to be able to see your eyeball and isolate your eyeball and take the light off of your eyeball and then turn that light back on as you pass and follow the eyeball that's as right. it goes by? Oh, that's a ton of data. I mean, that's a lot of it information is. very quickly. Yeah. And that leads to the next thing that the you know we talk about emerging technologies. Okay, yeah. let's let's reverse just a little bit. Go back to that tech that's not well studied and practiced. Yeah. Okay. Now you got a car with those automatic headlights. You said how much data has to move. Yeah. Gigabytes. 
Mm -hmm. Okay, sometimes tens of gigabytes. Now, that gives rise to the next technology that is now showing up in people's bays on the 2020 and up cars, and that's the Ethernet yeah. networking backbone. Now, if you consider that we're still trying, some some people in the industry are still trying to figure out how to diagnose a CAN bus. Right. And, and the base 100, you know, the 100 base T1 uh, base model Ethernet in the cars is a hundred times faster than Cam. Listen, can. I just I just need RJ forty fives on the end of it. You give me some RJ forty fives, I'm good, man. Right. I'll run me a new piece of Cat six. I'm okay. We're right. Good. And, and but you know, if you consider, you know, you made yeah. a statement how much data has to move. Yeah. Well, it you know now they're into gigabyte speed twenty twenty two and up mm -hmm. Ethernet, which is ten thousand times faster than Cam. Yeah. Think about that. You know what's so frustrating about it? It's because we had to. Right. We don't have a choice. The yeah. autonomous I mean, cars. It's, right. it's absolutely crazy what we've done with these cars. We don't have a choice. It's going to be that fast, and we're going to have to fix them. So I, I talked to, um, we did a interview with a guy who runs a networking company, and he, he does uh, like VoIP telephone, stuff like that. And we were talking a while back, and I was putting a new network in my shop, and I talked to one of his network engineers, and he said, you know, what you don't understand about this is he said, you're talking about running copper cat six. And he said, the reality is, is he said that that one gig transfer speed that we saw 10 years ago, he said, I want you to think about an access point and that access point has 10 people on it. And he said, every video they're downloading or watching on YouTube is two to four gigs. And he said, you have 10 people watching a video at the same time. He said, I want you to understand that that multi-directional, because access points are now multi-directional, mm -hmm. right? They have multi-in, multi-out, multi-user. That's yeah, called duplex. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so now all of a sudden, he's like, you've got to have enough bandwidth to be able to move 10 gigs to this. And most access points are two and a half gigs, right? right. But, but I mean, think about that. Because I remember my first computer didn't have a 10 gig hard drive in it. Right. Right. And, and think you still loved it. I know. It was <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, David still runs a 386. Uh, <laughs> hey, I had a 286 back in the day. That thing was awesome. Uh, man, they were in the day. They really were. Those were the days. I mean, you know, but here's one thing. And, and since one, one quick point the, the issue is that too many technicians see the technology in your 2015 Escalade. Or you said Mercedes 2019, 20, yeah. 20, 2019 Escalade. It's only four years old. Right. They haven't seen it in their bays yet. They're getting right. 15, 16, oh. maybe 17. Right. Most shops, seven to 10 years. That's how old the vehicle is coming in the door. Yep. They just, they have not fathomed the, I'm going to have to work on this right. tomorrow. They have no idea. No. They think I'm just hanging brakes. But this, this 2019 Escalade has, uh, Gary, how many networks? We just did a study on that car for our network class. That car, that 19 Escalade, that's now four model years old, mm -hmm. has six networks mm -hmm. servicing 130 modules in the nice. car. Yeah. Six <laughs> separate yeah. networks. Yeah. And it's Ru old Running now. like eight yeah. different it's old. Yeah. Yeah. and it's old technology. And and so where where are we going as far as network infrastructure? Are we going to a, you know, because we've got gateways, right? Mm -hmm. And and I Chrysler went to the Tipham, which they said was their their gateway and star configuration, however you want to look at it. 
Is that what you guys think we're going to see more of? Is, is more of a router or switch question. style? No, but we're going to have more than a single gateway. These are multiple gateway cars. Right. We've got right. a lot of, you know, remembering, you know, for those that are listening, the gateway is who transfers information from one data bus to another data bus, one language to another. When we've got multiple networks in a car sharing multiple pieces of data yeah. from network to network, we've right. got multiple, we've got multiple gateways sharing stuff back and forth. It's it's we, it's almost we insanity. Six separate gateways on my car. Do you six. So do you, do you eventually think we're going to get to a point much like network infrastructure in, in engineering, right? For no questions. I mean, are we going to have a switch and it's a managed switch and we can see the data that moves across the switch and adjust? I mean, I can pull up my network right here. I can show you who's on the network, what they're doing, what's active, what's not active, where the wireless is going. You can oh. ping each module and make right. sure it pings back. That's exactly where we're going. If you look at the Mercedes, I'm writing an, an article right now for Mercedes Startune magazine that's on the Ethernet backbone, which is brand new technology from the, it started out, I believe, in two of the 2020 Mercedes models. The S-Class was one of them, and I forget what the other one is without my notes, but um, that's called a full Ethernet backbone. Right. So that is going to be one of the first type of platforms where we're able to ping uh, for information through right. the network, just like you do on your that, laptop. I got to be honest, that makes me giddy. I'm going to sell my shop and go back to working on cars. That's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love you to do that. That sounds awful. You, all you, all you need to do technology. is just spend five minutes a day with that lab school. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. I'm good. I'm good. Um, which, which, uh, my, my, sorry, I forget the podcast. I need to ask questions here. Which, uh, which, uh, lab scope is, is deciphering serial packets? You said the Autel. Which other ones? None one. You nine. have uh, you have the Pico does it. You have the TP scope that uh, we bring. We import that to the U.S. from mm -hmm. uh, the Netherlands. Okay. That scope has serial decoder on it. The Pico does. The Autel now has it. Um, and m uh, automotive scope wise, I think that's about it, yeah, isn't it, Adam? When that, you when you go beyond that, now you're into Tektronics and and yeah, Lacroix, yeah. and you're so thirty thousand dollars. Automotive based. Yeah. Those are the three. But something to keep in mind is. Every one of them goes about it differently. Some right. can handle, you know, different protocols. You know, some are, a little, you know, can handle, say, a dozen different protocols where you may only be able to do count on one or, you know, so there are different, but those are the only three you're going to be playing with to do that. But but I got to tell you something. I mean, it, uh, serial decoding and network packet following and tracing, um, immense amount of study in that. But yes. with some study with it, it, it's amazing what we're able to find. And when you're dealing with a car, you know, like Gary's Escalade, for example, you know, first thing we have to determine is which network has the problem. You yeah. know, so we, you've got a choice to go, wait a second, we got a problem. Okay, where is it? Let's go find who it is. Then yeah. we get into it. I mean, there's several steps and some of the diagnostics on these cars, not to go too far off on, you know, in the weeds here, but this is some time consuming stuff, guys. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and it is. And what's frustrating about it is, is in some cases, I don't think it should be. Right. Right. In some cases, the manufacturer's not, and, and we can say all kinds of different things. Here's a perfect spot to make a Land Rover joke. <laughs> we got we got hate mail. This You've only got like one Land Rover. Land Rover, Rover, Land Rover sent the tow truck on over. <laughs> uh, <that> right. Yeah. <laughs> we got this. We got this message from this guy this morning, who's a Land Rover specialty shop, and he is like really mad at us because we like made jokes about Land Rovers, and he's like, we shouldn't discriminate against Land Rovers. You're not, and but he's busy, isn't he? Well, that's well, what I'm talking. Yeah, I mean, exactly. like, <laughs> he's like, they're wonderful cars, and I'm like. I, I mean, People get all sensitive about their car uh, lines. I used to say that I used to do the old diesel thing and say, you know, you, you could you could have a, Dur a Chevy Duracrap, 
Right. You could have a Dodge Bummins. That's right. Or you could have a Ford Power Joke. That's exactly What's right. What's your choice? That's exactly yeah. right. And then people would get their hair on fire and go, oh, how could you say that? Ah, clearly the Cummins is the best one. So it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's called, let's have some fun. <laughs> I know, right? Well, yeah, who knows? Who yeah. knows? Are you guys going to be at Apex? Uh, Most likely not this year. Okay. If, if so, it's their class stop in. <clears throat> no, I'm, I'm in the management. Uh, oh, that's the technical right. stuff. So this uh, this network class is eight hours. Do you do it live only? No mm-hmm. online. Live only. We are in the process of recording it for online. Okay. And it's going to end up being eight hour long modules, roughly, or okay, maybe yeah, nine forty yeah. five minute long modules. Yeah. This is a really really in depth class. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we are. Pro- I'm that's guessing- the kind of stuff, though, because we have. I have a one technician and he's a nerd, and he. You know, you you give him what you think is an advanced class, and he's like, "No, that's like I've already been through that." Oh, he'd enjoy this. Oh, he'd yeah, really well, enjoy. Well, I just messaged him, right and he's he like, "Tell me more," and I'm yeah. like, yeah. Oh, "Okay, yeah. I'll find out." He'll come, out, he'll come out of that one with his head spinning. I promise mm-hmm. you that. Yeah, it's but you that's know a, that's and, what you need sometimes to right. challenge some of these guys. But you're talking about the top ten percent. Well, I've know. got other texts that are like, uh, and I, you need to find like you're saying. Am I doing a good job of challenging these guys and getting them excited, excited about? Yeah. And I, for a shop owner, that's really difficult. Sure. Yeah. How do I get them excited yeah. about learning new yeah. technology rather than dismissing and going, ah, I don't need it. No, I think, I think it's kind of a here. fine line, too, between getting them excited and going too far. You know, yeah. I can get up there and rah, rah and cheerlead a class and think I'm just, you know, just tearing it apart just to have some guys look at me like I have three heads and not realize that I stomped on them instead of got them excited. So, yeah. you know, from a presenter standpoint, there's a pretty fine line there, too, just like there is from a shop owner standpoint. Yeah. You know, how far do you push? How far can you go? And when did you break that that limit, if you want to look at it that way? Right, you right. know, so the there's problem. a lot of different ways to look at that whole topic. There really is. And the problem I see coming up, the, the real rub of what's going on in this industry right now, if you want to talk about the mix of shop owners, technicians, manufacturers, is that look at the $3,500 headlights, okay? Yeah. We run into many, many, many techs every day on our hotline that they're five modules in and yeah. two parts in. Yeah, dude. It, I, it I'll, tell you, sick, man. I'll tell you a quick story and it'll be very quick. It's a long story, but I'm going to make it in 30 seconds. Okay. <laughs> we had a Volkswagen. Oh, that I one. I won't. Yeah. I won't mention the shop. It doesn't matter. It, it happens all over the country. It had a problem with the throttle. You put your foot on the gas and the throttle wouldn't move. First thing put in was a throttle motor. Next thing that was put in is an ECM. <sighs> Next thing that was put in was the APP sensors in, in the car. Yeah. Then it went over to Volkswagen to a dealer. They diagnosed it as bad wire harnesses. Harnesses. Uh, <laughs> now, this now, is, now this, this is no joke. This is no joke. This happened to us a week ago. Uh, I, <sighs> off air, I can show you guys this case, okay? Literally. It spent two months between the shop and Volkswagen. It had $12,000 worth of work done on the car. Nobody was right. You know what was wrong with that car? What? It had a mouse house in the air intake of the turbo. There's two inlets to the That's turbo. That's what One was, was wrong plugged. with that car. And you know what kills and you me? You have two months at a Volkswagen dealership and, and back and forth. 
with all these parts replaced. Oh, my God. And it's a mouse house. Did anybody now, do in, a visual in, inspection? I, yes. Like, they had oh, yeah. the tubes off of it, but it was in the bend. It was Yeah, it was in the bend. But let me point something out here. Here you've got a car, not to beat this up, but you've got a car that won't accelerate. You cannot throttle it. It sets code saying, I'm not going to accelerate, yeah. but it doesn't give you any idea where to yeah, go. Right. And right. here's a car that they've done everything on. And our diagnostic approach when looking at the whole situation is, look, let's do an in-cylinder compression waveform. And I kid you I kid you guys not, it was the in-cylinder pressure waveform. Once we gathered yeah. from that, we, we saw the massive amount of intake vacuum <laughs> and idle. Yeah, yeah. And, it was, and we were like, this car it. can't breathe. And but, we, let me ask you this. Would you have been able to find it if they had done something a little bit less invasive like a, a relative with a delta on the intake nope because it would have been the same for every cylinder so from a delta pressure standpoint all your pulses would have been the same so from a relative cranking consistent. compression it would have yeah, been the same right. the key was an engine that's idling at almost 25 inches of vacuum vacuum yeah, right which yeah. that by itself tells you the intake's There's restriction. restriction. And to be, fair, right. to be fair, the way the turbo's laid out in a car like that, it does have two inlets that feed the turbo. And the mouse house was around, you know, a solid aluminum bend corner. Yeah. Everyone would have missed it. I, you you got to give them credit on this. But the thing is, is, you know, you know, technicians sometimes jump right to the big, you know, this, this, this. They're going all electronics, everything's like, look, did anyone make sure this engine can even rev up on its own? Can it even accelerate? Yeah. But they, no one did because they couldn't make it accelerate because the throttle wouldn't, it wouldn't move the throttle. Yeah. But like, like we did on a diagnostic, I said, Hey, we're going to give it a vacuum leak and it's struggling to breathe. So as a know? shop owner, I, I just need the answer quickly. That's a problem, right? yeah. isn't it? As a I, shop I owner. just need, and it's not necessarily that I don't want to give the technicians, my guys are all on salary. So if they're going to take three hours, they're going to take three hours. I need justification for it right. so I can charge appropriately. That's what you want right there, right? <laughs> <laughs> nice. I don't necessarily need the silver bullet. Okay. Well, don't but take I it need, back. But I need a, <laughs> that's a real silver and, bullet. And that's a real I, silver bullet. Yeah. <laughs> what I try to challenge my guys is I need a systematic and logical approach. Right. I don't need you, well, maybe I'll try this. Maybe Because you're, you're jumping down three different paths that are going to lead you down. Right. Well, it's not necessarily that. They just... Something like that goes in. I'm going to immediately go to that throttle body, and I'm going to say, hey. Why aren't you working? Now, the only thing I will say that my, my technician probably would have checked the, the throttle input. He would have seen it and goes, hey, that throttle's working properly. Well, I think and it disables in this but case. But it was disabled. This one was disabling start. within and, a millisecond of startup. And so, but but here, here's the thing. He, I think he would have still swept it, though. He, it swept he would have, fine it's, when you yeah. did it manually, but the computer and, couldn't and he, do it. he might have even disassembled it and said, dude, there's no reason to replace this particular component. We and would have been dead go. in the water. Perfect. Right. Yep. And I would say, let's just throw a throttle body on there. Let's see what happens. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if you have a parts cannon that adds up to $12,000. Yeah. Yeah. And... And we find the answer by analyzing a in-cylinder scope waveform. That goes right back to the learning curve of, hey, guys, we're beyond the way we used to do it in the 80s and the 90s. Mm -hmm. we, have to, we have to embrace this lab scope because if you want to talk about percentages. Well, hold on I, now. They, would, would they not have been able to look at PIDs at idle? You're saying it's 25 it inches? At 25 oh, inches it wouldn't, of it vacuum. wouldn't idle? No. It would, all it would it do would is idle. idle, but you could not change the throttle, period. Okay. And this so, problem got by not only this good shop, and they're not slouches at this mm -hmm. shop. They're yeah. really good techs. And it got by a Volkswagen dealer. Well, uh, 
Well, so, yeah. <laughs> right? It's not really saying much, guys. Oh, oh my uh, gosh. Here you go. Really, guys? Uh, really? You know, here comes the angry. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm a Volkswagen guy. Oh, no, right. oh we get them all the time. But, yeah. but it's true. You know, it goes back to that learning curve, guys. And it goes back to the fact that if we're not going to embrace the future technologies, you know, I was going to say the percentage of fixes that, and Adam will agree with this because we study it in our database, we are 85% fixed with a lab scope. 15% fix with any other tool. 85% fix on the car. Now, remember, the calls we get aren't the easy ones because the tech's already three weeks or three months stuck up yeah. against the wall and five well, modules in. 85% of them we sort out remotely with a lab scope. I, I, that, that's an amazing statistic if you think mm -hmm. about it. That, yeah, very that's amazing. insane. The experience is is really important, right? Because I, sure. I remember an Audi one time that, that had no heat in the car, right? And it turned out that it was the rear heat module that took everything down, right? And until that module was replaced and until we found somebody that knew that that module would do that, there was no right. service information anywhere that said that. No. There was no data anywhere that said the two systems were even remotely connected. Right. Yet we don't have heat in the back, and it indicates it's the front module in the trouble code, and that's from Otis. That's not from, that's not from Aldata or Mitchell or somewhere sure. else. Well. And you know those problems are only going to get worse. Well, so that's, I, I mean, they really are. So that's what I was getting ready to say. Is I, I'm, let's go back to the network conversation, right? Mm -hmm. You look at a ubiquity network. Well, you look. You at, always want to go back to the network. Well, you look at a Cisco network. He builds his brand new shop, and he will go on a 45-minute tirade telling me about all he's running this wire, and then I'll have this, and then I'll have it hooked up to this. I have no idea what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. You're, so you're going to have internet? Yeah, but... <laughs> Well, so Sorry, go ahead. here's the thing, though, is that that if you look at that infrastructure, right, and you go into any one of its backends, right, what you're going to see is you're going to see complete control structures. You're going to see what port is down. If I have a port that's over-reporting, right, so in other words, if I have something that's sending a constant signal over and over saying it's freaking out, almost like it's trying to intrude the network, mm -hmm. I can see that. I can turn that port on. I can turn that port off. I can control that network from afar, mm -hmm. right? Whatever I need to do, I can control that. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget years ago, I was working on a 6.0 Power Stroke, and I spent four days looking for a strategy. I didn't want to know what the trouble code said it was. I didn't care what the trouble code said it was. I wanted the strategy of sync. Why? What is the difference between crank and cam sync, and what is the other sync that shows up in the PCM, and what's the logic behind it? How does that module look at it? Later on, We've been going to a show, one of the most phenomenal shows you could ever imagine going to, Equipment and Tool Institute, Tool Tech, right? And you meet with manufacturers, you meet with their engineers, you meet with some really cool people. And there were conversations being had that said, yeah, but you don't understand, we we didn't design that system. Well, we didn't what? design the module. Right. We, yeah. we bolted that in. We just put that in. We bought that. We ordered that module from Bosch. Right. Bosch designed that. They sure. know how it works. Sure. We, just we don't know the what car. the logic is. Right. And so we just have somebody that writes the service information Bosch sends us, and we just put that in the manual. Here you go. And I'm like, but, but I mean, think about what we could fix if we knew the strategy, yes, if we the, knew how it yes, was supposed to I work. I agree. It's a huge problem. And I'll tell you why I find that it doesn't happen. Uh, a lot of the manufacturers look at that as their secret sauce, mm -hmm. which means they'll give you just enough to maybe confuse you into replacing a couple modules. Here comes more comments. Right. But it's true. Uh, yeah. They're very vague in a lot of these areas. And so 
vagueness with a technician that's already struggling to understand the technology equals parts replacement. And why that's you, unfortunate. Why do you think it is that we've seen, and, and I I'm, don't want to pick on dealer techs, that's not what I'm saying, but I, I've hired a lot of dealer techs, and they really, it seems, don't understand electricity, right? And and one of the things I always saw is if you go Let's not say that. Like, they struggle sometimes with diagnosing yeah. electrical Yes, issues. Yeah, but they, they, they struggle with not following the pattern. Replace this, call this number. If that doesn't work, replace right. that, right? And so one of the things that I see is if I go and look at, at service information, let's take Chrysler. What does it say to do? Resistance test. Resistance test. Yeah. Resistance test. Yeah, and the problem is, is it never the worst, teaches them how worst it works. Test you could ever do. Absolutely yeah. useless. Yeah. And and so they want you to do a resistance test. I'll never forget. You remember Ken Neal? Sure. Ken Neal was teaching a class one time. And he was talking about Chrysler. He was talking about a downstream oxygen sensor in a Chrysler van. He said this van would not run properly. Fuel trims were skewed. Something was wrong. We couldn't figure out what it was. It had been to all these different shops. Eventually, we unplugged the downstream and simulated downstream. And as we simulated it and moved it back and forth, we could watch fuel trims change. Sure. There was nothing in service information about it. Uh, by was, the way, there still isn't on those Chryslers. Right. That post slow tube, they can skew that fuel trim through the roof. Right. And, and people you, don't know. There's no, yeah. there's no PID. There's no nothing. They can put it right on the wall on the Chrysler. Oh, they, absolutely. Because a lot of the manufacturers say, oh, our rear trim authority is 2 to 3%. Yeah. Not on right. Chrysler. Exactly. It'll absolutely skew it all the way out. Mm -hmm. And so he goes and he talks to, to engineers at Chrysler, and they said, Listen, but it's not our problem to fix that oxygen sensor will not fail in warranty. We know that sensor has such a low probability of failing in our warranty. It's not my job to fix a car that's out of warranty. That's your job. Right. right? See, that's unfortunate. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. You know, because it comes down to a brand loyalty thing. I mean, here we're talking about technicians and time and getting beat up and learning and tooling and all that. But yeah, what about the brand loyalty with what you just said? Some of these manufacturers just shoot, shoot themselves in the foot. Yeah with the secret squirrel stuff. And what's even worse is the manufacturers that refuse to play with the aftermarket. Yeah. So now, absolutely. now you have a Mercedes Benz car in your lot for four months. Yeah. And it can't be fixed. How's that brand looking to the owner? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why, why wouldn't these manufacturers get a little more yep. smart, let's say, in I understand patents and secret sauce and all, yeah. all that. I get it. Okay. But there's ways that we could guide a technician to a fault. And there's ways that that manufacturer can work with the aftermarket yeah. to support their brand. For example, BMW does a phenomenal job of that. I mm -hmm. would say that out of all the manufacturers in the industry, BMW and Toyota yeah. are the two that really defend and support their brand out in the aftermarket. The, the newest Toyota That's software. make a difference. The newest Toyota software. It's not even out to the public yet. It's not even out to the dealers yet. And it's on. It's not on this laptop. It's on one of the other laptops. Yeah, they were offering it out to right. independent hey, repair let's shops. Work through to, this. Let's talk trial. about Absolutely. And, yeah. and and why? Because they recognize that is part of the brand strategy. That's right. That That's what we're trying to do. That's, that's what right. we're trying to build. And, you know, part of me says, and I've, I've pissed a lot of people off. And I'm, poor Donnie is going to hate my guts for saying this. And he already uh -oh, hates me because I keep saying it. But I personally think that, that if we took and we made Nastif a barrier of entry, that made them feel more confident in what we were doing that said we're professionals and we know what we're doing and we're secure, we're insured, we're they 
if nothing else, they wouldn't have an excuse to point at us and say, well, they shouldn't be fixing it. Right. No, I've just proven to you I'm insured. If I screw up, I'm insured, buddy. Right. And I'm proving to you I'm an actual business. Right. Right. That's different. And I'm bonded against the theft and all yeah. that. Yeah. Which is the purpose of that program. Absolutely. You know, where I part company with that program is it's gotten, gotten to the stage where and boy, I'm probably going to get slaughtered for saying that. <laughs> you know, I, I'm oh, sitting boy. here. I'm going, don't do oh, it. Don't do it, Gary. Don't do it, Gary. Don't do it. Gary. I'm going to do it because this, is, this we need is the to put, biggest put problem. A mask over oh, yeah, right. you guys might want to cut my mic right now yeah. because <laughs> I'm going to give it to you. Commercial break. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> it. Um, the biggest problem I have with that program yeah. right now mm-hmm. is what they've set up with the security keys. Now, I don't mind the manufacturer and NASTF doing the LSID, yeah. doing the vetting of the shop, the bonding of the shop. That's all good business, okay, right. um, to relate with the manufacturers. Where I really part company is how this key program thing is going now. Because, it, it, and if I'm wrong, I'm sure we're going to get comments on this, but I don't right. believe I'm wrong because I've studied it pretty heavily the way they're doing it, the airplay thing. Yeah. You have to register as, as a tech. Mm-hmm. That shop then has to pay an extra $45 fee to get the key programmed. And the worst part of the program, it to me, it's almost mafia-like. And that's that's the comment he didn't want me to just make. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it is almost mafia-like in that, oh, well, once we've done that and we've done that transaction, now we're going to put that key programming out onto the whatever website and anybody can go grab that job. Now, here's the problem I have with that. If I'm working with a client at my shop or anybody's shop, mm-hmm. and we're way into a deep repair, yeah, and it comes down to the fact that we've just programmed that module, and now we have to go through this game with AirPlay to get the keys initialized. Yeah. Now, especially if it's a sensitive case with a lot of money involved, now I, as a shop owner or a customer, retail customer, have to put that car in the hands of a completely unknown technician that is certified yeah. to do that work. Doesn't mean he's qualified because I can yeah. get an ASE certification and be a total wreck working on a car. Well, this is the problem I have with the way the direction that this program's going. I was I've always been very supportive of NASTF and the whole program yeah. because it made business sense until they went there. Right. When they went there, now what they're doing is causing excess expense at really badly excess uh, customer delays. Right. Uh, And they're taking that job out of that shop. For example, if I came to your shop and said, you're not qualified to do that, I'm going to send one of my guys over to work on your customer's car. What would you say to me? Yeah. I had to have a problem. It's a terrible thing. Is this set in stone or is this just their trial? Isn't this just in beta? Uh, I think it's out of beta now. I think it's way out of beta. Yeah. Are they willy nilly signing everybody and anybody up? Because wasn't that the beef they had? They had only given access to Perkins and there. There were some. There were some. There were some people. That's the problem I have with it is that you have certain companies and certain people with access, and to me, that turns it into a racket. Okay, yeah. and yeah. I, and I do have a problem with that, and a big problem with it. Um, and knowing and the people okay. that were in on the inside, they made sure they were in the right place at the right time sure. to, to make to help make the decision. But yeah, that it, I don't know. I haven't it, ran into that. So it's a big debate in the industry. So I'm sure we'll get some really well, negative feedback. I'm in it. I can tell you, I'm in it quite deep, and I'm just staying quiet because yeah, I have my own problems. That's with it a right really now. good idea. Well, that's a very good. So idea. So what's the solution? The solution yeah. is very simple. 
the issue is key security. Yeah. Okay. Which means in the internet age, instead of having to go through all this, don't you think that the manufacturers could do that themselves? Meaning, isn't there a way that we could have a customer at a shop that goes on camera with their license and says, yes, I'm the certified owner of this car. My license matches the VIN number. Go ahead and get me a set of keys. Yeah. I mean, it's not rocket science and we've turned well, the, it into rocket science. The manufacturer, science, though, doesn't, they don't want to. They don't want to do all that. That's that's, that's what fine. they're trying Even to avoid. They're, they're abdicating. Well, that's what I'm saying. Right. They're abdicating it to NASA. If NASA's trying to figure out a solution, right. I don't know if this is the right route. I don't know. I don't have an opinion on that particular subject. But uh, when I signed up with Amazon to be an Am- have you guys ever tried to sell something on Amazon? Yeah, uh, no, I've not tried to sell something. <laughs> if you on try Amazon. to sell something on Amazon, they will connect you to a virtual agent. This is a guy sitting in his house, but he works for Amazon. You have to stand in, in view of the webcam with your license. It has to match, right. and you have to speak into it. Yeah. My name is, and it has, and they have to watch right. it, and then certify that yeah, this you are actually the who you say you That's are, right. and you're not some See, shell yeah, company or some guy in some it. foreign country. <laughs> that's and, all Mastiff has to do. Yeah. Uh, Did they want you to crumple up the Piper first so they knew it was real? You didn't get the reference. <laughs> you know, they, they, make this, they make the statement that uh, Mastiff makes the statement when they're talking about whether you're in violation of LSID or whatever. You have to actually be the person that can touch or hug the customer. Yeah. Right. I disagree with that. Because we could use that same Amazon model. I didn't know it was the Amazon model. I said that that would right. be my idea before yeah. I even heard the Amazon model. Yeah. To me, to, to put other people, other equipment, and say that there's only one company and one person in this industry that can be the final authority on key authorizations for a car, to me, that's a racket. That's almost criminal. And I don't mean Some's to definitely odd that, about it. Yeah. But there's something wrong with that in the internet age when we could do just what Amazon does, which is say, yes, I'm the owner of the car. Okay, now here's why it's an issue for me, because remote companies, remote <laughs> support companies such as Diagnation or Opus Autologic, mm-hmm. okay, or anybody that does this kind of work, um, they're, they're, they're at a complete, utter disadvantage based on that one piece of that rule where you have to physically touch the customer. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is... You don't want me to say this either. I, I wouldn't. I'm going to tell you right now. That's violated every day, right through the program. Yeah, and I've proven it. Oh, and if many somebody, times. If somebody wants to call yeah. me out on it, get my hit my email, and I'll meet with them on it. I've I've got written proof that that's violated over and over and over. So what are we really doing here? Why couldn't yeah. we take this industry and go to the model like Amazon does and say, yeah, you're the valid owner of the car. That's all we or need. Maybe they didn't think of it. Well, maybe not, but it, my, that's my problem is this is morphed into something that is restrictive to the customer, costly to the customer, and it's messing with people's businesses. Yeah. That's yeah. what I have a yeah. problem with. Well, and I don't know. I, I think that Other than that, it's great. Yeah, I, I, the, concept, the concept. The concept is great, and I agree with it and supported it for years until they went here, and that's when they lost me. I... I so I've got a friend that works for Audi and, and we talk often about the fact that Audi wants their client's car fixed properly. Sure. And they, they, they really care about that because at the end of the day, that is their car. Absolutely. And, and so somebody gets killed in that car. 
that car it's burns their to reputation the ground. period. Right. Yep. It doesn't it's liability. Matter. <laughs> right. Doesn't matter whose fault it is. Doesn't matter. You know, I, I, the other day in our Facebook group, somebody posted the picture of the Kia burned into the ground, and the dude yeah. had just done a fuel system service on it. Uh-oh. And everybody's like, "Well, it's a Kia. It's obviously going to burn to the ground." Yeah. Well, I mean, if it had been any other car, and I'd just done a fuel system service on it, you know, obviously that would have been the shop's fault. Right. But because it's a Kia, yeah, it's fine because it's a Kia. Yeah, right. like anyway, they burned right? to the ground. That's what they sure. do. But, but you know, in, in talking to my friend at, at Audi. One of his things was, is like, A, that information is expensive, and it's expensive to moderate. It's expensive to put that information where it needs to be. Do you think that manufacturer certification, because you look at Audi, right? They, they have way more collision shops that are in independent than they do that are uh, Audi shops, right? Is it possible that we look to the manufacturers to provide manufacturer certification for independent shops? And at that point, because I mean, listen, you guys know the guys in the dealer too, and I'm not picking on dealer techs. I'm just saying there, there's right. bad apples in every shop. Right. And so if if the guy in the dealer can't steal the information, I can't steal the information, right? Like, what difference does it make? We if, if we're certified, if we're created equal by that, right? Why couldn't we just get that information? Sure. And and I think his perspective was is look, you're talking about a massive program. The collision program is huge, and it was it was almost required because somebody could die if they were in that accident. I'm like, well, what about ADOS systems? Right, right. fuel services. There, there, yeah. there is a good amount of <laughs> liability behind ADOS if you think about it. And a lot of people don't talk about it or won't talk about it. But think about this. ADOS really, for the first time, puts that technician directly in the liability oh, path. Oh, boys. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Because here's the problem. Most most shops, some shops are very, very serious about it and good about it. Most shops don't document well on not just the service advisor end, but on the technician end, meaning replace side mirror. Okay, right. so I replace the side mirror, but guess what? That required a calibration for ADOS. And so now the car has an accident. Yeah. The customer says... I didn't do that. The car went across the center line all by itself. Mm-hmm. What's the lawyer going to look at first? Absolutely. Yeah, and for years. Look at the last servicing dealer of that car, and he's going to tear that tech apart. And, and clients have been say saying that both. for years. Right? Oh, clients yeah. have already been saying that. Right. Now there's a way that the car can do it. Right. And so everybody can say. Right. And, and you know, look, I was talking to somebody about the Mosaic a while back, right? And talking about the fact that the Mosaic requires you to enter all of your information, and you have to certify each step. I did this. Right. I did this. I had to deal with a technician a while back. And it said on his work order, it required him to click a box that said, I torqued the wheels. Guess what he didn't do? He didn't torque the he wheels. He didn't torque the wheels. He didn't put the damn lug nuts on it. Oh, that's a problem. Right. That's oh, a yeah. bad day, isn't it? it? Found, oh, we all found out about it really quick. But he certified that he did it. Just because you certify that you do it doesn't necessarily mean that you've done it, right? Right. right. And so, I, you know, I think the Mosaic's a great idea, and it says that it, it makes you certify you've done the job and you've promised at the end of the day. You're still on the hook for that bad boy. Didn't right, you know. And, you know, and I and that's a real problem. I try to talk to shops and say, listen, if we're going to help you with this, you need to document this, right? It, the yeah. procedure needs to be documented for the technician to say, I did the alignment. Look at just a simple front end alignment. Yeah, I mean, uh, anecdotally, and I don't recall the exact number, but anecdotally, I remember a guy that was, at, uh, I don't recall what company, but I think it might have been Hella or somebody that does these ADAS systems mm-hmm. that was, te- was doing a keynote address. And he said, you know, what you guys don't realize is when you change the alignment angle on the car, a one degree change at the yes. grill of the car is a 150 yep. degree yeah. change Pete. across the center line of the car. Pete. Mm-hmm. And so, Pete. you know, 
that's a serious thing because how many how many tire shops around yeah. the country are are doing alignments and circumventing oh. that relearn process? Okay, yeah. and how You've many done it now. how many dealers? You've are, done it now. How many dealers are doing it, dude? I, I'm telling you, I, we've just <laughs> oh, had this conversation yeah, three times. This conversation, yeah, yeah. I, I, it, and it's a real issue. We we were having a conversation a while back where like we're talking to them and we're saying, hey. It's great that you want this freaking car calibrated. I don't give a fuck. If if your dealer is telling my client that they'll align the car for $79 and I'm a crook for trying to get you to calibrate the car, there's a problem. Yeah, it's a problem. Right. And and you know, there's been there's been manufacturer dealer techs, not just techs, but manufacturer dealers are suggesting that to take the car and put a target up on the fence and push the car back and forth and hit calibrate until the car calibrates. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, come on now. It's a big in, it's a big industry problem because it it just opens everybody up to a liability that wasn't there before. And yeah. lawyers work on paperwork. So the, as soon as you say the car crossed the center line, I didn't. And yeah. they asked for the last servicing dealer. Oh, look at this. We replaced a front bumper on the car. They are smart enough in the law industry to go back and read the service procedure on the car says note in big red letters this must be calibrated after this bumper is replaced or this grill or this windshield now if that technician didn't take the time even if he did the calibration if he didn't take the time to document on that ticket replace bumper recalibrated front radar camera and sensors yeah you just bought yourself a big liability if that car has a crash. You know, do you know what a, a jack screw is in an aircraft? Mm-hmm. Okay, so MD-80 comes to mind. Yeah, boys, over over the Pacific, Alaska yep. Airlines. Coming out of Mexico, if yep. I recall, all those years ago. Yep, and and so, hey, mm-hmm. think about the, the absolute terror that all those people faced because of that, mm-hmm. right? And then you think about the fact that that was tracked all the way back down to a technician mm-hmm. who greased one grease joint and not another. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Oh, that's right? a big, big bad day. One grease joint mm-hmm. made the difference of 300 people living or dying mm-hmm. and and like a torturous way to die, right? Like that had you to think? be. Well, had to yeah, be. it nosedived in. Right. Well, it, it inverted and then turned over and went straight down, right? And pancaked against the ocean to the point that it was flat before they found it, right? That's crazy. Oh, that's and it was day. one grease joint. And they were able to track it all the way back exactly to the day, exactly yep. to the time, the amount of grease in the grease gun, well, right? So now they'll be able to do that in automotive because yes. you have your yep. you have your scan logs that they can mm-hmm. go back to. Exactly. Okay. And so that can be proven right back to the store that last worked on the car, even if it was three repairs ago. Yep. Think about think about Carfax and all these different yep. data tra- tra- uh, tracking systems. It's You're only, not going to escape that. It's only a matter of time, and right. everybody says, but it's not happened yet. Right. Right now, now Chris Chesney said, "I feel pretty confident that it has happened, and we're just not hearing about it." Like he he said before, I'm I think there's data out there of a couple of cases that just hasn't made it all the way through the system yet. Right. And he's probably right about that. Yeah. yeah. Sure. But I mean, either way, I mean, it's coming sooner or later. Somebody's going to make a boo boo, and it, they're going to pay for it, right? Because we're in a litigious society. Yes, we right? are. They'll come at you for anything. Right. I, I don't know if y'all saw this. There was an ad on Facebook, a Facebook video the other day. It's this ad, and it says, auto mechanic, question mark, question mark, question mark. says, auto mechanics are a higher risk of lung cancer than any other. And and I was talking to a shop, and he said, yeah. He said, I got sued. He said, the guy didn't even have lung cancer yet. He said, but I was sued because he was at a higher risk for lung cancer. 
And he said, my insurance company had to pay him. Oh, man. Holy crap. <laughs> what in the world? Like, yeah. did you need a new lawyer? What's was, up with that? you got to call the insurance like company tomorrow. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean. All right. You good? Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.